Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. Hello again, Story Shapers. Has it already been a week? How time flies or maybe how it folds. We're here today. We're here again today to speak to yet another brilliant bookish guest about the stories, however they may want to interpret the word stories that have shaped them and their lives and their work. This week, we have the privilege of sitting down with Anne Salin, whose fantastic debut YA fantasy book, Rebel Skies, was published by Walker Books in 2022. Rebel Skies was shortlisted for the prestigious Jalak Prize in 2023, as well as shortlisted for the Brantford Bowes Award, also in 2023, which rewards the author and the editor of the best debut children's book of the year in recognition of the vital role editors play in the creation of a story. Uh, the story follows the character of Kurara, who has lived all her life as a servant aboard the Midori, a floating banquet hall. And for those listeners astute enough to recall my quip about time folding at the opening of this introduction, she has a remarkable gift for creating living origami, using the power of her mind to fold and manipulate paper and create creatures that can move as though they are alive. But Carrara's gift goes deeper than this. She is a crafter who can create shikigami, actual living creatures made from paper, and her skill is highly prized across the empire in which she lives. She ends up aboard an airship that hunts shikigami, in an effort to save her brother Haru's life, but nothing ever falls smoothly for Kurara. Rebel Skies is gripping, eloquently written, and absolutely immersive, and in the words of one reviewer, like a cross between Studio Ghibli and Mortal Engines. I think that's a great comparison. It is. It really is, isn't it? Um, it explores things like the nature of souls, whether created things are ever truly alive, and the morality of enslavement, and it has that, that which I love most at its heart, a strong and intelligent girl, courageous enough to bring down an empire. Anne Salin is a writer and librarian who live, who loves all things fantasy. She lives and works in London, but spent many years living and working in Chiba, Japan. The sequel to Rebel Skies is Rebel Fire, which is set for publication in July 2023. So not long now. And the story will conclude with the final volume in the trilogy, which maybe we'll hear more about today. So enough for me. Welcome, Anne. Thank you so much for being part of Story Shaped and for joining us today. It's great to have you. Hello. It's good Welcome. to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Nay, that was lovely. That was a great introduction. Oh, well, thank you. I'm learning from you. Yeah. You see, you're, you're the Susan is the most eloquent introducer that I've ever come no. across. Uh, she's brilliant. So uh, I'm trying to. I'm working to be more like you, Susan. Well, everyone should. Yes, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Everyone should be more Susan. Hashtag be more Susan. Oh, welcome. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you about books and Rebel Skies and Rebel Fire and. The new one, the new one, whatever it's going to be called, it's going to be great. Um, we just we had the privilege a second ago. I know uh, this is a podcast, so you can't see, but um, Anne showed us she has just received her author copies of Rebel Fire, and it looks beautiful. The colors are gorgeous. Yay. So, so it's a wonderful time in every author's life, isn't it, when they finally get to hold their new book baby? <laughs> How do you feel, Anne, now that you have Rebel Fire in your hands? Oh, excellent! It's excellent. I have Rebel Fire and Rebel Skies, and they look very good together. They're, they do. They're great they pair. do. They're beautiful. Actually, who do you do you know offhand who who does the covers for your books? Who's the artist or the designer? Um, the 
the artist is Amir Zan. Beautiful. Yeah. Done some really nice work with both origami creatures on the cover. Gorgeous. Yeah. No, they really are. The, I mean, the, the cover of Rebel Skies is, is stunning. It really is. Yeah. Like, it, it just really puts you right on board the airship, isn't it? Or the, 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 it you, you really feel like you're in the sky, you know, watching. Oh, it's amazing. It's a beautiful cover. And I'm sure Rebel Fire is just as gorgeous. And it's um, really seamless. Like, it's really seamless imagery with the imagery and the language that you use in, in the book. Like it just it's a there's a perfect symmetry between the cover and the and the content. Yeah, I, it's nice that they they went with an actual scene from the book. Um, yeah, really brings it to life, doesn't it? But yeah. Walker's Walker's great. Walker is a fantastic publisher. They do amazing work. Um, I think all the books they publish are are always top notch. So it's not not surprising that you found a home with them because uh, your story really is amazing. Um. But I suppose we'll kick off our podcast by asking the question that we ask all of our guests, um, which is, um, are you story shaped? Do you have any thoughts on what story shape means to you? Um, yeah, I am uh, I have a lot of, I think a lot of authors will probably say the same thing, that they were um, readers really young. Um, and I think that's the same for me. Um, so when I think about, you know, being shaped by stories, I think, about all the the books that I read when I was young and the books that I listened to when I was young because um, I don't know if people know this, but my dad is blind. Oh. And so um, when I was really young, he would have these audiobooks um, sent to him by the RNIB, um, which is the Royal National Institute for the Blind. And so he would play them and my room is right next to his room. So I would hear them through the wall as I was doing my homework or whatever. Um, and then, I, so I'd listen to stories and absorb stories that way. Um, but the problem was that sometimes he would listen to them while I was at school. And so I don't get chunks oh, of the story. Oh, frustrating. <laughs> missed pieces. Oh no, that's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, wow. um, I think that also hooked me because I would hear the story and then I would, miss chunks and I'd hear the ending and I'd be like oh what happened I, I need to read do you remember um, what stories you were getting chunks of at that point in time um it was the secret lives of bees I think was one oh. of them that sticks with me um and also I think he listened to the phantom of the opera as well oh, oh good well. story That's and cool. I, I remember the beginning and I there's the middle was very fuzzy for me probably wasn't around to hear it <laughs> cheeky dad you should have made sure you were there at home <laughs> before you put the good bits on but I love that there was like there's there was stories in the air you were just kind of surrounded by the audio stories That's in your house I love it what a wonderful way and to I love the way you put it as well you were just absorbing stories yeah 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 it's yeah, it's probably a testament to how thin the walls are in my house. <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah. It would have been the same in my house, in my childhood home as well. We would have, there was no such thing as privacy <laughs> because the walls were like uh, cardboard. But um, gosh, that's amazing. Because I, I never I never came across audiobooks I don't, like until I was in college, I think. I don't think I ever, I don't know if I've even ever fully listened to an audiobook, even my I own, had, which is awful. I had something called Storyteller which I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, which was a mm. fortnightly magazine and it had extracts from like pre-existing novels, but also original stories. And it was illustrated by like children's book illustrators. And right. it was the most amazing, most amazing thing because it came with a cassette tape and you listen to the cassette tape 
this is the age. We're giving away our age now. Giving away our age, yeah, I know. <laughs> Here are the cassette tapes. And like you, at the end of every page, it went bing, and you turned the, so you knew where to turn the page. So I think that's how I learned to read because um, I don't remember learning to read, but I was just following the words and listening to the story. Um, but listening to the story, like the audio story, because I thought when you said the audio story, I thought you were going to mention something like that. But no, you were listening to the proper, well, not proper, actually proper, say proper audio books no. because storyteller was a proper yes um, exactly vehicle yeah. for stories too <laughs> it was funny thing is some of my the this was like i'm also going to give away my age and say this was um <laughs> in the 90s and early 2000s um some of the books were just like digital books that um my dad would have read aloud to him via screen reader and back then it there was like no natural voice and like Siri sounds very nice and natural compared to the voices that she he had before. Right. So there was this program called Jaws, which would read, and it was very, very robotic. So he would these uh, some of the stories would be read out by this robotic computer. And now I'm really used to like these robotic voices just reading stories. <laughs> so if we ever get taken over by robots, I'm You'll be fine. <laughs> You're ready for the robot overlords. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I also like it probably shows like what's a really good story. If you're like gripped by something that's being read by read to you by a robot voice, you know that that, that story is like it's quality. It was a dark yeah. and stormy night and the <laughs> clock struck 13. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Gosh, that's mad. And yeah. what were the what were the earliest books or the earliest stories that you remember encountering or that you remember reading? Um, so I read a lot of that kind of classic fantasy, um, things like Tolkien and um, Terry Pratchett, Robin Hobb, uh, Robert Jordan. Um, I remember I encountered Terry Pratchett through my through my dad's audiobooks. Mm. And he was he written in a robotic voice. No, no, it was Stephen Fry. Kind oh, of brilliant! Oh, what a brilliant way to get introduced to Terry Pratchett. Wow, yeah. And, he, my my dad hated Terry Pratchett, but I oh, loved, really? oh, no. I love Terry Pratchett, and so he wouldn't put in it on any more audiobooks. And oh, I was no, like, no. And so yeah, we had we had a. I remember having an argument with my dad about why he wasn't ordering more Terry Pratchett books. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh no, I hope. Well, I'm sorry about that part. Um, I'm I oh, I hate I just oh, how how sad that he didn't like Terry Pratchett because Terry Pratchett's just such a formative author for me and did you did you read Terry Pratchett yourself then when you got older or yeah you know? I ended up reading quite a quite a bit of um Terry Pratchett um my I had a lot of my brother's hand-me-down books okay oh, cool. so um he was my brother was a big fan of fantasy and so he had some Terry Pratchett which I then got passed then got passed down to me brilliant it's yeah, so interesting the... the like so within the family that you're growing up in the books that get like given to you or that you absorb from your family members but then there's also the books that you kind of seek out yourself or that you encounter yourself for the first time do you remember what those were those the fan those fantasy books like were you going to the library to get those out or yeah there was there was a local library um just like I think 10 minutes away from my house which was really good um it's a shame that you know a lot of libraries are getting underfunded these days mm. They are really key to your mm, children's literacy. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yeah. 
Yeah, we often say that on the podcast and we'll continue banging that drum forever. I think, you know, how important it is to fund libraries because it really, it gave me access to books that I would never have had, you know, um, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of people. Um, gosh, so 10 minutes away is, is that, I guess a good place to have a library. <laughs> and was it, was it, was it a good, a good space for you when you were young? Was it somewhere you enjoyed going? Yeah, it was yeah. a really nice place. And um, I remember they had, there was a library cell once and I didn't have enough money to buy all the books that I wanted. So the librarian like slashed things in half for me just so I could take oh. the books. And it was, they, were, they were very lovely um, librarians. That sounds lovely. And what kind of stuff were you, do you remember what kind of stuff you wanted to buy or what stuff you brought home with you that day after the library sale? Um, so I, I brought home a lot of sort of YA, which was at the time uh, probably a bit too old for me. Um, so uh, I think there was some Julie Kagawa in there. Oh, really? Um, and then as I discovered the discovered the internet, um, I really got into manga as well. So I um, took out some, some manga and some comics. Um, and this probably brought me to the, the book that I probably like the most of books that I like the most which was um the 13th it's not 13th sorry the 12 kingdoms, 12 kingdoms. what are those books I don't know them but who, who are they by or what are they about uh they were by um I will have Yumi Ono okay um, cool. and tell us, they tell us were about just, them they, they were just the most masterful world building um, that I'd ever sort of read. Um, so a, a lot of these like classic fantasies like, you know, Tolkien and yeah. Robert Jordan and Robert Hobbes, they're like really steeped in world building. And I think that's where I caught that world building bug. Uh, and then the 12 Kingdoms kind of just stamped it and solidified everything for me. Um, so the 12 Kingdoms is set in this it's set in this world where there are 12 kingdoms, of course, and it's sort of drenched in Buddhism and sort of Buddhist ideology. Uh -huh. um, so for so for one thing, um, the parents don't have children. They tie a wish onto this tree and then it creates children for them. Um, and then every now and then the child comes out a bit wrong and they're actually like an animal child. Oh. And then there's oh. this whole... Uh, political thing about how the animal children are seen as sort of lesser um, and they're not treated as well and it's it was also my first like encounter with Asian fantasy mm. and it, I think that really kind of shaped me. Now how did that make you feel when you encountered Asian fantasy first? I thought it was uh, I thought it was really exciting and it was just yeah it was just like mind-blowing <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, I saw um sorry no. I, I saw an advert for a, for a television show which I haven't seen yet but I do want to watch it um the other day um Michelle Michelle Yeoh the actress was talking about her new show um American Born Chinese I don't know if you've heard of that and um and it sounded it just re reminds me of it about you, you speaking because it's about the monkey king I, I mean I, I know very little really about Asian folklore but um it's just she's, she, she was saying it, this this show is a wonderful chance for people you know who wouldn't be familiar with the Asian folklore to to be immersed in this uh, you know amazing world of um but a lot of the characters looked as though they had you know 
I suppose an animalistic features or there were there were there were people who had you know anim, animal faces or whatever um and but, they, but yet there were they were powerful and there were you know there were gods or there were warriors or whatever so is, is that is that a common or is that is that a really like a prevalent theme in, in Asian folklore do you think um I, re- I do remember the monkey king when I was yeah. young um having like a little children's book about it um I, I think that having like animal sort of protagonists or animal human things is quite common in a lot of uh different mythologies and you know uh east asian mythology being one of them um, yeah I, mean, I shouldn't say i mean i don't mean asian i mean, I, I should i don't i know it's a very broad uh, continent and i don't mean to be um you know lumping everything in together but um it's that sounds really amazing I, i've never and is is the 12 kingdoms was it a novel or was it manga or what what kind of format um, was it? so it's been in a lot of formats it was right. um, a novel i think it started out as a novel or you know book and then it was it turned into a manga and i think it had an anime adaption as well um, wow <laughs> so it's a, it's a really it's a really foundational story i'm sure for for lots of people that's amazing um had a long had a long life <clears throat> or has still still having a long life um that's great and, and annie what that was that when you had the idea that you wanted to write for yourself or was that something that you always wanted to do what was the spark for for you to write rebel skies um, or you just start writing in general yeah yeah um, I'm not entirely sure um, what one made me want to start writing in general because I remember writing, starting writing very, very young. Um, so it was a bit, uh, I think it's a bit too far back now in the in the yonks ages to remember. <laughs> um, I wanted, I've always wanted to be an author and I'm not entirely sure why. Um, because it is your destiny. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very nice way to put it so when I was 16 I um, sent a manuscript to a publisher and it was a moment of terrible teenage hubris because it wasn't <laughs> very good um, but it, it shows that I just you know I had kind of that bug very early on um, and Rebel Skies came probably much later when I was in university and I think what's shaped Rebel Skies or what gave me that obsession for Rebel Skies was that I studied and I read a lot of Japanese literature, um, particularly Meiji era literature. And then that kind of combined with my love for fantasy, which was much earlier and kind of morphed into this. And Meiji era, that's kind of roughly like the late 19th century into the early 20th century, is it? I was doing some reading about the Meiji era yesterday. <laughs> to uh prepare was that yeah, um, when it was <clears throat> i i call the meiji era like japan's industrial era which is oh, wow, um, yeah. kind of kind of true ish it's isn't it gives people a, a kind of an idea of what it was like but well, yeah. you know, it's about 1868 to the early 1900s wow brilliant cool um yeah, because I hadn't heard the term before. I was I, I don't know where I came across it in something I was reading about you anyway. In the last few days, I came across this uh, this term, the the Meiji era. So I said I better better skill up and find out what that is. So that's it's nice to know when you know the kind of time period that you and that is that's when you that's when you set Rebel Skies and Rebel Fire. Is it? that's kind of the time that they're meant to be set in? Yeah. Yes, it's it's a very loose time because obviously it's, right. it's fantasy and yes, of course. Are, um, yeah. 
there are cities in the sky which obviously weren't around at the time <laughs> i wish they had been <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah the a lot of the sort of base line is based on that so um it's a the meiji era was also like a moment of kind kind of westernization like they were they were opening up to these western ideas and stuff so in rebel skies you know the, the people wear kimono but they also there will also be people who are wearing like trousers and shirts right. and things like that and then there's electricity of course being introduced during the major era and steam power and things like that so right. in rebel skies there's also electricity and steam power yeah it's a very fertile time to set a story isn't it when all this opening up was happening and all this innovation and you know it's really cool um and i know some people have compared your work to to sort of studio ghibli but would that be an, an influence on you in the way you write yeah i think definitely um i think studio ghibli is probably a lot more relaxed than Skies, <laughs> but i i think it's got a lot of that there's a lot of that warmth as well um in rebel skies with you know the crew and how they mm -hmm. treat each other and how they treat karara when she joins yeah, I just I love just some some of the films you know that I I really love. They have they have a lot of airships in them, isn't it? Kind of like a it's a it's a theme that you often come up with, um or you you often see it in Studio Ghibli movies. And one of the ones that we love here most, the one I, and one of the ones I loved as a child, but now one of the ones I love watching with my own family now as well is um you know the the castle in the sky. <clears throat> you know, and it starts off with the with the beautiful the airship, and it's all about floating cities and floating castles. And you know, I, I thought of it when I saw it, the cover of your book actually, um, but uh. Did you have that yeah. image of your in your head when you were like thinking about Rebel Sky? Did you have an image of like floating cities? Like when did that come into the process? Um, that's that's a good question. Um, I think hmm, when did it come into the process? Um, so the, there was a lot of sky themed things around uh, Rebel Skies. Um, so. It's it's funny that you say cast in the sky because I remember having to give a sort of pictures for the cover when they were doing the cover and I I gave one of them was of the floating city and castle in the sky so it's like oh you can oh, yeah. it's kind of like this um, I think that I I think that the whole idea of is there's a lot of ideas of freedom in mm -hmm. Rebel Skies so I think having things in the sky and really ties into that freedom um aspect absolutely yeah i are there is there a book or books that you that are like comfort reads for you that you like constantly come back to and reread and reread yes are you are you a rereader yeah. some people aren't rereaders mm -hmm. i'm a rereader yeah yeah i've i've become less of a rereader um as i've grown older i think because there's just so many books that i want to get to. Um, when I was younger, I had a book that would reread, and I can tell you at, at different stages of my age which book it was. <laughs> so um, when I was when I was like five or six-ish or something, there was this book, I can't remember what it was called, but it was about a goat and a chicken. <laughs> and the goat was helping the chicken get home and they went on this adventure. And I reread that a lot. And a lot and then when I moved about maybe the 12 or 13 or something it was Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials oh yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and there's those. a lot of His Dark Materials I think His Dark Materials also really shaped Rebel Skies mm -hmm. because 
I really wanted a demon when I was young and now Didn't they're we all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you think your demon would be? Um so I think it'd either be a magpie. Hmm. Well, that's a good cat. one, especially for, for an author. A magpie is really yeah. a really good one for authors, isn't it? Because we're always kind of eating all the all the jewels from everywhere we go. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I think the, the Shikigami are kind of mm. in a way influenced mm. by the demons in Philip Pullman, although the Shikigami it's a lot less of an equal relationship than the demons had with their people. With their humans. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They're an amazing, they're an amazing um and like is Shikigami something that you know is unique to your imagination or would Shikigami be based on anything from folklore or you know where did the Shikigami come from? So <laughs> I'm glad that you asked this question because uh, I have a tiny little joke in, embedded in Shikigami, which I never get to <laughs> say because it's yeah, a joke that doesn't it's a, it's a joke that doesn't work in English, so I couldn't put it in the book. Um, <laughs> but the Shikigami are an actual like real life folklore thing, um, right? So in actual folklore, um, there were these people who were like sorcerers or magicians who could summon Shikigami, and they were they were kind of like magical familiars. Right. Um, and in real life folklore, the shikigami could be paper. There was lots of, you know, like paper mannequin shikigami, but it could also be, you know, a spirit. It could be, you know, an animal. There's, um, there's this old story about a man who buried his dog on a crossroads. And after a certain number of years or people treading over the grave, it came back as a shikigami. Um, so it's it's a real thing in real folklore, but the the shikigami in um, Rebel Sky is the reason why they're they're all origami and they're only paper and not anything else um, is actually because of a pun, which doesn't work in English. Um, but the word shikigami is two characters, and the second character in the word shikigami is also a homophone for paper. Oh wow! I love that. That See, that's, that cool. totally yeah. passed over my head. That, that's that's fantastic. I love that. What a clever thing to do. I love that when you write, get to write a book and you, you have all these, uh, you can put in your Easter eggs or you can put in your in jokes or, you know, references to stuff that only, you know, that maybe only means something to you personally, but also um, maybe to your, your culture, wider culture. That's that's so cool. I love that. And I love that we had exclusivity on the pun in Shikigami. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Um, and would, would folklore have been a, have been a big influence on you in general. I mean, it seems like it has been with the creation of Shikigami and and you know, um, how 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 big an influence has folklore been on you? Oh yeah, I think it's been quite a big quite a big influence. There's um lots of little Easter eggs, as you say, yeah, um, littered around Rebel Skies. Um, for instance, uh, the Sorobito ships are all named after the Japanese names for constellations or stars. Oh, cool. oh that's that. very cool. That's so cool. Um, and then the Orihime, which is the ship that Carrara joins, one, is yeah. um, the star Vega. And it is also the name of um, a folk tale called Orihime and Hikoboshi, which is a story about two star-crossed lovers who are separated by the Milky Way. Oh. Um, and then there's a little Easter egg, which I don't know if many people will catch, um, but... In Rebel Skies, um, they stop off at a, a sky city 
just as this big festival called the Festival of the Seventh Star is happening. And the Festival of the Seventh Star is a reference to Tanabata, which is called the Chishi Festival. I probably butchered that um, <laughs> in, in Chinese as well. So it's um, a festival that's celebrated all across East Asia. Um, and Tanabata is all about celebrating Orihime and Kikoboshi, the two star-crossed lovers. So there's a bit of circular Easter eggs in there. I love that. That is so amazing. And it really shows what you're saying earlier about the catching the world building book. I mean, that's a, that's such deep world building. Mm-hmm. You know, really, it's such a such a great structure to underpin your story um, and shows great thought, you know, and, and great, great planning, you know, almost as intricate as, a, as an origami sculpture. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's amazing. I love that. And I love I love I love that I didn't know any of that until I spoke to you. Um, and now and now the book has taken on a whole different meaning. That's that's great. So extra thank you so richness. Much for that. Yeah, yeah, you've given really us extra richness, for extra richness to enjoy with your story. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to, I've taken down all those and I'm, I'm going to look up all these things on the internet and, uh, and skill educate myself on what these things are all about. That's fantastic. Because I love folklore too, um, but obviously I wouldn't be familiar with Asian folklore. So I love learning. I love I love when I read a book that's from a folklore that's not familiar to me. Um, and I love coming up with or coming up against, you know, concepts that are, are fresh and unique, you know, um, but yet somehow similar because folklore is so similar on a deep level, isn't it? But you know the details might 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 be different, um. But it always resonates with me the the idea of you know folklore tales are they're always deep and meaningful, um. But I love learning about other cultures and other countries through their folklore and through stories that are based on their folklore. So that's it's wonderful. I'm so happy. <laughs> um, but uh, any other books? I, I know you were we were talking about books that you reread and that you really enjoyed. So we were talking about Philip Pullman and the Dark Materials. But anything from a later stage of your life, you know, did anything else that you would have as a comfort read or as a reread in your teens or your earlier life? I I reread a lot of um Stifarter's The Raven Boys. Um, oh right, I, yeah. I I I've never, read, I haven't read those oh, actually. Great. I read the first one um and I loved that. It's got Sinead, I think you'd really like it. It's, yeah, I think I would. Stuff, I, stuff about ley lines and I read about them and I think they're really good kind of thing, but I've never actually read them yet. Yeah, she seems I cool. Really enjoy them. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're very. It's, they have a, a really good like core past, which is you just a delight to follow. Um, yeah, the characters are great, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're they're wonderful. Um, and then there is a manga series called Immortal Rain, which is. Oh, that's a great title. It's so good. Um, it was called like Meteor Methuselah in Japanese, um, which I, I think is not as good as Immortal Rain. Um, <laughs> Immortal Rain. I wish I'd thought of that title. <laughs> That's a brilliant title, actually. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a series that I, I Kate, I went back to and I went back to when I was whenever I was feeling like down about things. Um, yeah. And the thing is, uh, the series was published by I think a group called Tokyo Pop and I'm not sure what happened to Tokyo Pop if they you know just didn't decided not to continue or if they had like financial trouble but in English the series was never finished no, um, no. so I had to go though it finished in German and French but in English it just for some reason never did so I had to go online and look for the ending and read the ending that way but 
thought you were going to say, I had to go and learn German. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say too. I had to become fluent in French and German so I could compare the English. <laughs> the power of books. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had to seek out like online, um, the ending online. And the thing is that it was a series that, you know, meant so much to me and it still means a lot to me and it never finished. And I think as authors, sometimes when you are writing a book and maybe it doesn't, you know, become a bestseller or get all these accolades and you think, oh, what is the point? But for me, um, that book never finished its series in English. And yet it was like the world to me. And I think as an author, you'll never know who is touched and who is saved by the books that you write. Well, if that isn't the most inspirational and encouraging thing I've ever heard, that's absolutely true, you know, um, because, yeah, sometimes I think we can all, well, maybe, maybe not you, Anne, because of all the wonderful accolades that have been heaped upon Rebel Skies very deservingly. Um, that's a fantastic book. But yeah, no, I never won any major awards or, you know, whatever. But sometimes I feel as though, why do I, why do I do this? And then you get a letter from a child or you get a message from a, from a parent going, my child loved your book or, you know, and that is exactly what it's all about, you know, and what you said is exactly true. You never know as an author, you never know how many lives your work is touching and how many people find it, you know, uh, deeply inspirational or, or, um, you know, and you might never know, but uh, that's, 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 you just have to keep going and, um, and hope and gosh, I love that. But the story never finished, but yeah, it was, it was really influential on you. And what that. what do you think it was about Immortal Rain that drew you to it and made yeah. you keep going back to it and made you like go and search out the ending on the internet? Like, what was it about that story that really spoke to you? Oh, I I could sing the praises of Immortal Rain for for entire... do. go for it. <laughs> yeah. So I think one, it came to me at a very important time. It was I discovered it when I was a teenager in secondary school and I had a really full time in secondary school so it was like my companion whenever I had a hard day at school I'd come back and I'd open the pages and I'd read it yeah um and two I think that the the people the characters that are in that book um have such like warmth and such love um for the circumstances and for for the people and the world, and at the time I was like in in a probably a very dark place, and the main the main character who's called Rain has like such love for humanity and such you know love for people, even though he's had such a terrible life. That was you know really inspiring and encouraging. That's amazing. What's it about, Immortal Rain? It. <clears throat> It's about this um, guy called Rain who is immortal. Hence <laughs> <laughs> the um, So he's immortal, and the second, or the main character, is a girl called Machika, who is a bounty hunter slash Grim Reaper who is trying to claim Rain's head for the, the reward money, but obviously she can't kill him because he's immortal and they end up kind of tag teaming and going on this adventure against this corporation that is trying to dis discover how the secrets of uh, Rain's immortality and how to you know kind of replicate that and there's a lot of talk about you know what it's like to 
be immortal and have eternity and to watch everybody you love kind of die and it's like it's it's got a bittersweet feeling to it but also a very optimistic and hopeful feeling to it like there's always you know hope well that sounds like a that sounds like a really amazing story yeah and it sounds like a really perfect companion for like a teenage teenage teenage. darkness I suppose a teenage like a teenage journey yeah yeah I can see how that would be such a comforting thing to read or such a such a a guiding star through it through a dark time in your in your teens god well (laughs) I really want to look it up and read it myself it sounds like a beautiful beautiful story like a like a like a more like a more meaningful version of Highlander I, I'm I'm sparing you from all the twists. There's some very lovely twists, and the, the antagonists are some of my favorite favorite antagonists. Brilliant! That is amazing. It's a shame, though. I just I, I hope. Well, I suppose there's no no point in hoping that it will ever be finished in English because it probably won't ever be. But um, I'm glad it got finished in some languages somewhere. And that no, maybe there's some someone out there who's going to translate it for all of us. I hope so. Maybe they can be. Maybe the rights can be reverted somewhere. Maybe somebody can eventually republish it. That would be great, wouldn't it? Um, and is is now? Excuse my ignorance on this. And I, I have to say, I preface this with my I am utterly ignorant <laughs> of, of manga. And and uh, you know, but is it is it like it, it's it's told through art as well as as text? Is that is that that would that be like like a graphic novel type thing? Is that would that be accurate? Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it's um, pretty much um, a comic book or graphic novel. Um, you read it from right to left. I, I um, right, which is, I, yeah, yeah. Um, a thing because uh, every time I start a comic, a Western comic book, I try to read it from right to left, and then I <laughs> remember oh, no, I to read it from left <laughs> yeah. to right. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm just so used to manga, just yeah. Cool. And do you, you you don't remember the name of the artists that would have worked on it or anything like that? Um, it's Cal- so the I think the art and the story are both by somebody called Kari Ozaki. Cool. So if you're listening, Kari Ozaki, if you're still around, get translating. <laughs> we need to know at the end of the story. <laughs> um, that's that's well, that's amazing. Uh, a fantastic thing to have had helping you through your 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 teens. Um, and what but, a great, what a great comfort read. Yeah, and on. so, like now, are there books that you like? Would that be one of the books that you'd go back to if you're feeling like I need a bit of a comfort read now? What are the ones you reach for? Is it those same ones? I think I think Mortal Rain has, has been is the only one that has stayed with me. Um, I don't go back to read the omelette and the chicken and goat book. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I have it anymore. Um. But yeah, I've definitely gone back to my favorite parts in Immortal Rain and just mm. looked, looked through it. And yeah, I think I think it might have unconsciously been a bit of a also an influence on Rebel Fire, maybe because there's a lot of talk about immortality and eternity in, in mm. Rebel Fire. Wow, brilliant! And when is Rebel Fire out? It's it's early July. What what date is it? I published? think it's July sixth or seventh. July sixth or seventh. Cool. Yeah, because I think we'll probably be broadcasting around that time. So yeah, that is great. Yeah, we'll be able to, hopefully we can shout about it and we can shout about it on social media for you because I really hope that uh, it's going to be uh, an equal success to to, uh, <laughs> to Rebel Skies. It's a fantastic story, I'm sure. Um, uh, but are there 
any other books that are you reading at the moment? Anything that you're reading it right now that's sort of shaping the way you're working or thinking? So I, I've got to the third book in the Shadow Sky trilogy by Joseph Elliott. Joseph mm-hmm. Elliott, that's it. Oh, I love those books. I haven't read those books. What are those? Oh, Tell me about them. Susan, they're fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> they're fantastic. They're like uh, set in Scotland. They're Vikings. There's oh, my men. Uh, <laughs> bloodshed, war, magic, <laughs> um, uh, princesses locked in towers, and so, oh, it's just it's fant- oh, brilliant. Yeah, uh, people riding on sh- on massive cows. I know it sounds mad, but it's 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 just and so so well written. Such a such a and and actually beautiful um like uh, what's the word representation of disability as well. Um, you know, there's a character that that has Down syndrome, but she's a, she's a very, very, very prominent and um, what's the word, like central prop or central, you know, important character in the story. She's she's brilliant, uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, but anyway, sorry. Uh, oh, why do you, why do you, why do you enjoy them? And have you have you been enjoying them? Yeah. No, I think that you really perfectly <laughs> encapsulated all the reasons why it's it's brilliant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic and a fantastic, fantastic, fantastically written stories as well. They're they're just really, really good. They they propel me along. Anyway, I never, I never encountered. I mean, I I don't read a lot of. I don't know what you call them, YA, and or are they kind of younger than YA or kind of in the middle yeah. between upper upper middle grade and lower YA? Yeah, I think I think yeah. they're kind of lower YA, upper middle grade. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a like I think they fit well into that sort of. I suppose under underserviced age group, maybe you know mm. that doesn't always get stuff written for them. That's really good quality, um, you know, or indeed at all, um, and yeah. So it's just like it's it's quite it can be quite brutal at times, um, you know. But at the same time, it's it's it is very fantasy as well. There's loads of magic and um, uh, shadow magic and things. It's just it's they're they're really 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 good. Susan. There's I, not enough anyone, time. There's not them. enough time to read everything. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But make make time for these. I will. They're on my list. Um, anything else you're reading at the moment? That well, I I can't believe I didn't mention this earlier, but I <laughs> recently finished um, Lonely Castle in the Mirror. Oh. Um, Is that by? That is by um, Mizuki Sujimura, um, mm-hmm. and it is an adult novel about a girl who is having problems at school she's she stopped going to school because she's been bullied mm-hmm. and one day the mirror in her room leads her to a castle <sighs> where I think seven or six other children have who also have stopped going to school have gathered <clears throat> and they are tasked by the wolf queen to look for the key to a secret room, which will grant them one wish only. And they have a time, a deadline to do it. And it is such a fantastic book. I, I cried and I, even just thinking about the book has made me tear up. Uh, um, it's such a fantastic book about, you know, anxiety and like the frustrations of dealing with, you know, people um, and it's, is very very touching and i really recommend that everybody check it out oh brilliant sounds amazing yeah i've never, never heard of it um is it is it in english translation or can it be yeah it's, yeah. I think, yeah it's also in english lonely castle in the mirror i'm gonna look that up that sounds a gorgeous story 
and anything that can really affect you know and anything that would be so emotionally impactful uh, you know that's it's always worth checking out um and we mentioned at the beginning um before we started recording that we were talking about uh rf quang's work and you were saying you had read yellow face and yeah so is that is that good can you tell us about that one yeah i i read yellow face and i have lots of feelings about yellow face um yeah it is worth reading if you want to you know if you're interested in sort of the inane workings of publishing <laughs> and how terrible and unfair it is to everybody um yeah you should probably check out get a face although you might not want to if you don't want to be depressed um, <laughs> yeah i think publishing is a bit of a crazy business sometimes isn't it yeah um but i know we me and susan were just saying before we recorded that we both are Sorry, have you read? You've sorry, I'm getting confused. Now. Did you say you'd read Bible, Susan? Or you, you're already read, you're reading it. it? Yeah, because I because I I loved it. It was one of the best books I've ever read. It was fantastic, and I'm really just I'm just uh, jealous is not the right word. In 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 serious admiration of uh, R.F. Quang's ability to write at such a young age because she's genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I wish I'd been so clever and um, intelligent and eloquent at her age. Um, which probably I will never be so uh, I'm not going to worry about it now <laughs> they said they're amazing books as well um, but uh, anything else that you're reading at the moment that is good or anything that you've read recently that you'd recommend Anne? Um, you can't see it but I'm looking over to this pile of books on <laughs> my on a chair near the window which is just a stack of my TBR mm. pile um, <laughs> I had to get a bookshelf for my TBR pile. Yeah, I think I have a TBR bookshelf <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, I'm reading Sixteen Souls by Rosie Talbot. Oh, is, yeah. And not just like um, The Shadow Sky Treasury is lovely disabled rap, um, as well as, you know, um, LGBT rap as well. It's set in York, which I went to recently. And I didn't realise how beautiful York was until I visited it's a lovely it's a really lovely city yeah a friend of mine lives there I've only been there once but it is a beautiful place yeah lovely architecture and, and gorgeous gorgeous surrounds for sure um I haven't read 16 Souls but I've heard lots of good things about it um and is it good so far yeah it's, it's been really fun I'm exactly in the middle point so it's starting to ramp up cool. I love that and um can we ask what you're working on right now what's coming next from you if you can talk about it <laughs> right, so I'm right now racing towards my deadline for book three of Rebel Skies. Um, so we have Rebel Skies, Rebel Fire, and then a Rebel something. Which Ooh, Rebel something. <laughs> Great. Do you, do you have any idea when that might be out? Or this time next year-ish? Or? I'm hoping this time next year. Um, it depends right. on whether I can get to my deadlines or not. So if the release date is going to be November 2024, then you know that I failed my deadlines. <laughs> Um, yes, so it's going to be the last in the trilogy, uh, and it's going to be ra- it's going to wrap up everything um, that was set up in Rebel Fire and Rebel Skies, um, and it's going to deal with um, more conflict and possibly war. That sounds great. You're very good at giving tantalizing hints. That's mm. very good. It's a great skill. Without, without giving anything away. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to um sort of work around spoilers of Rebel Fire. I think if Rebel Fire was out, I might be less candid about spoilers. 
Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, because you have to be aware of Rebel Fire coming out as well. Um, but just I can't wait. I can't wait for the the whole epic conclusion to come because I'm sure it'll be amazing. Um, <clears throat> you know, the there was great action in Rebel Skies, and I'm sure there'll be more in Rebel Fire. And I'd say that the, tril- the trilogy's conclusion will be even more action packed. So that'll be great. This time next year, we'll have a we'll have another treat to look forward to from you. That's wonderful. Um. And do you have a sense what you want to write next after that? Yeah, after that. Well, yes, I actually have two things that I was working on while, you know, I was waiting for Rebel Skies and Rebel Fire to go through edits and for my editor to look through and be like, no, this is terrible, cut that. (laughs) (laughs) So I have um, two things uh, on the back burner. Uh, One is YA and the other is adult. Ooh, Uh, wow, cool. The, the YA one is sort of an a- East Asian contemporary sort of supernatural mystery, I think. Mm, it's, I call it brilliant. Squid Games with Mind Games. Wow. Um, wow. I'm invested already. <laughs> Love Squid Games. It was brilliant. So I'm sure your book would be fantastic. And what's the adult one? Um, the adult one is a East Asian fantasy um that is all about time but it's not sci-fi time it's fantasy time which Mm. always confuses a lot of people um i don't really know how to uh, explain it without massive spoilers but uh it's about the god of time dying and these two people going on a quest to restore a world that has been sort of messed up by the god of time Oh my God, Dying. write that wow. write it quickly. I want it. I'm already <laughs> invested in that. Um, have you read a book called Catfish Rolling by Clara Kumagai? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned it because I just finished that and it was fantastic and also an incredibly yeah. beautiful book. Wasn't it? Be- I thought it was amazing. I, I just, when, as soon as you started talking about time, I was like, oh, I wonder who should read that one. It was one of the most interesting and unique and yeah beautifully written stories I've ever ever read it was just gorgeous wasn't it yeah Yeah. um and you know such a such a powerful I suppose I don't know what to say I don't want to say reaction but such a powerful sort of way of um dealing with the the trauma of you know the the Fukushima disaster you know and and how how it affected Japan and the Japanese people um as well as being an amazing story you know all about loss and grief and and oh so many things so many things in it it's, it's just beautiful have you read that one Susan no I've like it is on my oh it's amazing read amazing, amazing. list yeah. um and it's got such a gorgeous cover yeah um, but yeah no I'm dying to read that one it's it's really gorgeous so and like I've never read anything like it before it really was just so memorable and, and brilliant so so yeah well well, those your books your your forthcoming work sounds amazing and so I can't wait to get those as well <laughs> So good luck, as we say in this country, more more power to your elbow. Hopefully you'll, you'll write well <laughs> and you'll have some done. Um, that's that's brilliant. But believe it or not, we're coming up to nearly an hour of recording, which is which is fantastic. So uh, we're coming up to the coming up to the end of our episode. Um, but uh, I guess all we can say is thank you so much to you for your time today. And it's been great to speak to you. Um, and all these wonderful books that are most of them are new to me, which is great. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be happily Googling now after we finish speaking and um, possibly ordering some manga because um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's something I've never I've never actually read any manga. Um, I've read a lot of graphic novels, but not not, not any manga. So it's it's a new format to me. Um, but I'd love to I'd love to get into it. Then, as you said, Susan, is there it, there's not enough time, but we'll make time for good stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
but um but i guess all i can say is thank you so much it's been a pleasure to talk to you um Thanks and i wish you I wish you the best to look with uh, with Rebel Fire. I'm sure Susan does as well. Yeah, um, it looks incredible, and I can't wait till it out till it's out in the world. So I'm sure. And I just checked around. Yes, that we ahead. are broadcasting on the sixth of the day? July. So I think oh, we'll be brilliant. broadcasting on the day that Rebel Fire gets released into the world, which is a is lovely, a lovely coincidence. Absolutely fantastic. So if you're listening, dear listener, go and order. Uh, go and buy. Um, uh, and shout out Rebel Fire because it is going to be amazing. Um, and hopefully, hopefully you've been inspired by some of the books we've been talking about on the episode, and that you'll you'll happily be ordering yourself some manga as well, or picking up the Shadow Sky trilogy. Or, Get the or, or to a bookshop that we have we mentioned. Get the to a bookshop or a library. Or a library. Important. Get the to um, a building, or uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> wherever you get your books um but as we always sort of say at the end of our episodes i hope you've really enjoyed this chat today um and if you have please do take take a moment to uh give us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts um and please do share the episode with your as we say your your friends your enemies your granny your dog anybody who you might think would enjoy listening to us talking about books um every pair of ears we get on the on the on the podcast is is welcome uh, so thank you so much for all your support um and just one more time just thanks a million and and have a I just it's been great to talk to you so thank you so much for making time for us today well thank you for um, having me on not at all it's been a pleasure a real pleasure a joy it's been a joy as it always is um so and thank you Susan too it's wonderful to see you you're as well. welcome Sinead thank you <laughs> Well, very polite and elegant today. Um, but for now, we'll say goodbye. So it's uh, it's goodbye for me, Sinead Hart, and goodbye from it's goodbye for me, Susan, and goodbye from our wonderful guest and Salin. So thanks everybody. And until next week, we shall see you. Bye bye. You have been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at Story Shaped Pod. And don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Music by Tony Betts.